this week on the programme. That's all we've got time for this evening, so it's good night from me. And it's good night from him. Good night. As Murik Raymond prepares to say goodbye. So it'll be an intense period for the NFU, there's no doubt about that. And Lord Plum retires. It's good for us to know where our food comes from. It's good for us to know who produces it and how. Also, we're talking eggs. Runny eggs are now safe to eat for children, for the elderly, which is great news for the industry. And the latest on the beet campaign. We're now actually 52 days into our campaign, so that's around a quarter of the way through our processing season. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. It's the end of an era. Well, almost for Murray Raymond, anyway. He announced this week he'll be stepping down as president of the National Farmers Union early next year. He described it as a very difficult decision to not seek re-election, saying that he'd always said he wouldn't serve beyond 2020. And it's clear with talk of an EU transitional period that uh, Brexit discussions will go on well beyond that date. And so for the sake of continuity and consistency at such a critical time for British farming, it's right he steps back now rather than in 2020 itself. Well, Murick has told this programme earlier this year there's a lot of work to be done to get Brexit right for farming. We won't be coming out until at least 2019, so the next two years will be about negotiating trade deals, how we're going to support the food and farming sector, how we're not going to allow British farming not to be competitive. So these are going to be the big arguments, the availability of labour, particularly to the horticultural businesses in Lincolnshire. So it'll be an intense period for the NFU, there's no doubt about that. But things won't change overnight. But we'll have to be in there arguing our case as one of the most important industries in the UK. A job for his successor, no doubt. Minette Batters has already said she will run for president. It's likely current vice president Guy Smith will also challenge for the post. And I'm sure we'll be hearing from both and indeed any other candidates that emerge as the election gets ever closer early next year. In a tweet this week, Murick did say he's not gone yet and he's still in post until February and looking forward to a busy Christmas and New Year period of visiting various members. Well, while he's counting down the days, for Lord Plum, it really was the end of an era this week, having given his last speech in the House of Lords, bringing to an end a 78-year career in British agriculture and politics. Here's what Baroness Byford had to say in the Lords about him on Thursday. Henry's contribution to agriculture over his lifetime are immense. Leaving school at 14 to take the running of the family farm, his membership of the Young Farmers Clubs, where he met Marjorie to his first steps in the agricultural politics and eventually his rise to be the youngest vice president of the NFU at the age of 38, reflect on a man with a mission. While speaking for the final time in the Lords, Lord Plum had this to say about the future of farming. It's good for us to know where our food comes from. It's good for us to know who produces it and how and where, in fact, it might come from if we're not producing it here. I hope to spend some time in the future with many young people, encouraging them to develop their skills uh, in uh, rural affairs, in business and enterprise, and also always uh, to remind them that they make a living by what they do, but they make a life by what they give. Uh, true giant in agriculture, Lord Plum, who's retired this week.
He was, though, looking to the future, very much so, and the future is firmly in mind on Andrew Ward's farm this coming week. He's holding a soil event on Wednesday. Soil is a, is a hot topic uh, at the moment, and, and the soil is what gives us our, our, our sort of livelihood, and, it, and the soil is what produces everybody's food, should I say. So we're every single person in the UK really um, thrives off, off the soil that we, we farm. And uh, so we've got an event where we're looking at tyre um, technology, comparing our quad track that weighs 26 tonnes and what compaction that causes against a, a wheel tractor with twin wheels on the back with the pressures let right down compared to the same tractor on single wheels with high pressures. Um, we've put cover crops and special crops in the ground to look at on, on the day as well and dig soil pits and see how various crops can remove uh, moisture and what they can do to the soil structure. And we've got machinery companies coming to, to talk to us as well and show their, their ways of, of direct drilling and, and the, the ways that they have of managing the soil. Probably 100 people odd will be there. So it should be a, you know, a, a good event, hopefully. And, and it's so vital, isn't it, to, the, you know, to, to look after the soil, to keep the soil. You know, you're not just, uh, you know, this perception that, that farmers are out for everything they can get and they don't care about the environment or whatever. You, you, if we ruin the yeah, soil absolutely. And, and there's no long-term future. No, is it, it isn't. The soil, there's only one soil. You know, we only have it once. So it, 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 you, you have to protect it. And the thing is, soil is disappearing um, through erosion. It's disappearing under houses. Um, and there isn't any more and so we have to protect what we've got make use of what we've got and actually get each uh, each area of soil um, to produce more food and and, it, and it's as simple as that and, and I've got a great um, uh, sort of uh, diagram on some of the presentations I do and I think it, when you start looking back years ago uh, the amount of area that one farmer and the amount of people that one farmer was actually uh, a, a feeding is so much more today. You know, one farmer now is responsible for so many more mouths compared to what it was. It's just, it's just unreal. Uh, and and you're quite right, Sean. It's the soil is so vital and how we look after that. And and science, you know, we need to look at it. It's a science now, understanding soil. It really is. And, and uh, hopefully this day um, we'll shed a bit more light onto it. Uh, such an important topic, isn't it? That's uh, Andrew Ward. That soil event's happening on his farm at Lednam on Wednesday. Time now for an update from British Sugar. Nick Morris has the latest on the beet campaign, direct from the factory. We're now actually 52 days into our campaign, so that's around a quarter of the way through our processing season. And as we said, we're having a really good run of it just at the moment. Uh, as we know, September was very wet. Uh, we certainly recorded uh, it's about an inch more rain uh, than normal uh, for September. However, conversely and thankfully, October has been incredibly dry. Uh, so that's been a relief for, for most farmers that we've spoken to. Um, but as such, and as, as a result of that, lifting conditions have been excellent um, and, and dirt tear is really, really low. We obviously use dirt tear as quite a benchmark of what field conditions are like. So it's currently only around 4%, which is quite, uh, quite low. Uh, seed beds also for the wheat crops that are going in after the sugar beet uh, have reportedly been incredibly good and having seen them myself and uh, it's unusual to see dust in October but I have done this year and uh, as such fat one grower did, did say to us that it needed a really good rain so um, yeah it is dry out there and uh, that's helping us with our with our campaign at the moment. So still a long way to go. As I said, we are going to be running well into March this year, so we need Mother Nature to uh, extend our efforts for the next uh, sort of uh, five months, really. Um, factory throughput uh, has uh, in 
improved significantly. It's now averaging 9,200 tonnes a day, and that's up 500 tonnes since my last report after two very, very good weeks of throughput where we exceeded 10,000 tonnes a day. Uh, and beet supply also now more plentiful. Uh, harvesters this time of year tend to build up a little bit of breathing space in front of lorries that are clearing up behind them. Uh, and as we said earlier, that's helped in no small part by the, the good weather conditions. Everyone's been able to, to get on. Uh, so as ever, I always say at this time of year, and I'll say it again this year, it's really important that uh, uh, the time between harvesting and haulage is kept to a minimum. Ideally, really, no more than about five days, um, and that just maximises the amount of time the crop can spend uh, growing in the field uh, and minimise respiration losses once it's tipped on the side of the field. November, it's always a really popular month for growers and it comes to a bit of a crescendo of um, people wanting to time their drilling of their first wheat and the harvest of their, their, their sugar beet crop. So it's always a really busy time for, for contractors. So uh, as such, it's just that coordination piece with uh, good communications, very, very important. Sugar content, um, that seems to have peaked uh, not long after my last report actually, in about the third week of November at 17.75% uh, was, was the peak uh, for, for a week so far this campaign and it sort of still remains there hovering around that sort of area at the moment. Average sugar content for the campaign now 173 so still a very positive uh, uh, upturn in adjusted yield. Mm. We've now had 57 contracts uh, finished and they're averaging just over 69 tonnes a hectare. So again, that's really, really good for this time of year. In actual fact, it's very, very similar to uh, 2014 uh, this time of year. If you remember, we had a record crop in 2014. Mm -hmm. So keeping fingers crossed uh, for the record. Uh, in terms of the crop, um, plans really afoot for, for next year. So uh, reviewing soil analysis, applying lime and fertiliser. Uh, alleviating compacted areas and a really great opportunity to plough heavy land while the conditions are very, very good. Um, and it's always great just to stop and think about what lessons have been learnt from the previous year so uh, efforts can be put in place to um, correct those and Im improve the crop yet even more for the 2018 season. So I encourage all growers to do that and indeed uh, please do engage with uh, my field team. They'd be happy to talk, uh, talk through that with growers as well. So that's all from me. Yeah, there's always lessons that can be learned, isn't there? We can always learn year on year. That's right. And, uh, you know, the one I think that's the most important to us is plant population. And, you know, we must ask ourselves, have we got 100,000 plants in every hectare of sugar beet we've grown? Because if we haven't, we're missing opportunity. Thank you. Nick Morris from British Sugar. And we'll have more detailed agronomy advice from Sean Sparling in a short while. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago the success of LJ Fairburn and Son, yet more awards for the egg producers named Farming Business of the Year at the British Farming Awards. Of course, uh, since we last spoke with Sarah Louise, uh, government advice on dippy eggs changed as well. On Thursday, I caught up with her briefly. Yeah, no, we're really happy. Eggs are very fashionable again, like we said. Um, runny eggs are now safe to eat for children, for the elderly, which is great news for the industry. And we've also won another farming award, which is wonderful news for the business. Mm. Tell us about the award. It was about for family uh, business, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, well? it's a really, actually, a really 
good award for us. It's Family Business of the Year, Farming Family Business of the Year, and it means the world to us. It's just another badge of honour just to say, look, we're doing a great job, we've got the quality, we've got the passion, and it just helps us drive the business further forward. Obviously, our supermarket customers like to see that we're winning awards um, because they like to be with award-winning suppliers and producers, so it's great news for us. As we spoke earlier in the year, it's such a... I mean, family is at the core of the business, really, isn't it? No, absolutely. It's very, very much family business. We're working in and around the staff every day of the week. We're very involved, we're very hands-on, and that's how it's going to stay. Anything else? A few, a few new developments? I think you launched the, a new blue egg, did you? Am I yeah, right? no, we've launched an egg and it's going incredibly well. It's just actually won a great taste award and it's the only um, hen's egg that's ever won a great taste award. It's absolutely delicious. Um, we're selling out of them, to be honest. They're on sale in Aldi and Sainsbury's and we've got demand from all over the place for them, so we're really excited about that. It's been a good year then, 2017. What's the plans for 2018? 2018, just continue to grow the business, continue to grow our speciality blue egg offering, continue to grow our organic farms as well because we see that being a huge growth area for us and just grow the business sustainably so it's there for the children. Sarah Louise Fairburn with big plans for next year, a real family success story. On to agronomy, Sean Sparling is back. And Sean, you're no stranger to Fairburns, are you? Yes, morning, Sean. Fantastic success story. Daniel and Sarah Louise Fairburn, what a success story. I had the pleasure of presenting them with an award down in London at the Pig and Poultry Awards a couple of years ago. And they've just gone from strength to strength to strength. And they really are a testament to charisma and dedication. What what an awesome story that is of success. And their passion for the industry is something which rubs off on people when you talk to them. So massive congratulations. We actually found out then that I'm distantly related to them. So uh, I'll be popping around for Christmas lunch, probably. I bet we have egg and chicken. Uh, right. So uh, let's move on to agronomy. It's been an interesting week of weather. For once, it's been fairly benign. We ended um, October with one of the driest Octobers I've ever taken, actually. Uh, I only took 16 millimetres of rain in the entire month. Um, and when you look at that, the the last time I had anything less than 50 millimetres was 2015 when I had 35. And then it was a dry one again in 2011, but I took 32 then. So this is the driest October I've ever had. Um, and there's nothing to say it's going to come wet in November. We just don't know what's going to come. So you can't rely on anything. And when you look in some of these wheat fields, which have been drilled for three weeks or so now, you can see crops up and through the ground. You scrap down down to see why bits aren't coming you're wondering if it's slugs and actually it's sitting in dust in some of these fields so they really could do with a drop of rain now um i know that is exactly what we predicted we would be saying when we were talking about this six weeks ago we'd all be moaning in october and november when it was dry but we could do with a little drop of rain um hopefully we get a little drop and it knows when to stop but when you look at some of these later fields which we've left to drill because they're worse black grass fields the black grass has really only started flushing in this last seven to ten days and some of these fields are getting drilled before that flush has come so it is vitally important that whether it be dry or not when you drill you need to make sure you put that pre-emergent stack on because the black grass will find moisture as you move the soil it get, it'll get a flash of uv light and that'll trigger it to start growing capillary action means it'll find that moisture and suck it out of those clods because remember the only thing that's holding in the clods together is moisture in the first place so it's very difficult to make that decision but trust me when i tell you 
things like Flufenisa only break down under microbial activity, which is under wet conditions. If it's dry enough to drill and you've got it drilled and rolled, then go and get it sprayed. Because if you leave it until the crop comes through the ground, immediately you've lost perhaps 30% of the efficacy against blackgrass, which is, after all, what we must prioritise as the target. But also, if the wheat's pricking through the ground, it means the wheat's roots have gone down. And by the very nature of that, the blackgrass roots have gone down as well. And they're already growing away from any barrier of herbicide you put down so if it's good enough to drill it's good enough to spray don't delay get that spray on and also remember the stack but also remember things like trial eight and avidex get those on and get them on well don't put them on in windy conditions you'll do a far better job if you've got a good seed bed to start with because trial eight is it goes through the process of sublimation which is going from solid to gas without going through a liquid phase much like brussels sprouts do at christmas so make sure you get all of those preems on to give yourself the best possible chance because it's been quite noticeable we've all been expecting a lot of black grass to come and it really hasn't unless you've got a good fine seed bed there. Um, a lot of mildew starting to show up in some of these earlier drilled fields of winter wheat and you have to be very careful about what you can and what you can't apply for mildew. Very rare wheat will respond to mildew in the autumn. Barley is slightly different so speak to your agronomist, see what's legal out there, see what's worth doing and make a decision as to whether it is actually worth spending the money on it um, because quite often you won't get the money back you spend when it comes to wheat but check those starting dates that you can start spraying things in the autumn with fungicides because it is not as straightforward as you may think it is. At winter oilseed rape disease levels remain fairly constant actually. We are picking up a little bit more light leaf spot but nothing like the levels you would expect to see in a warm wet season like we've just gone through. So keep your eyes open, utilise that service through the um, spot check initiative, go on the website, go onto my Twitter feed at SAS Agronomy, you can get yourself a kit there to sample the leaves and from what I've sent in I've sent 15 samples in I've only had one come back with 3% light leaf spot remember your threshold is one plant in seven affected look at the ratings for the disease and prioritise the varieties which have a slightly poorer rating if in doubt and you want to do it quickly pick a few leaves pop them in a polythene bag and stick them in the airing cupboard for 24 hours 48 hours and you will start to see if there's light leaf spot because it, it, it will express under those conditions apart from that we we are still seeing some slug activity. Ferrous phosphate, probably better at the moment. Don't use metaldehyde on that outside boundary or within 10 metres of a watercourse. And I think all things considered, we don't look too bad out there in the field. Disease levels in rape are low. The aphids are moving into these uh, cereal crops, particularly if there's no deter on them. So monitor them carefully. It's the bird cherry oak, the rose grain and the grain aphids which carry BYDV virus in their saliva. So if you've got those in there and they're at threshold, go out and get them sprayed but don't just spray insecticides for the sake of doing it because you always do because you'll kill a lot of things when you see a dewy morning like the other morning these fields are covered in cobwebs and those spiders are also doing the job and feasting on the aphids so make sure there's an issue there before you spray and don't just go routinely applying insecticides because you're making a rod for your own back and it's only a matter of time before we lose their efficacy altogether so uh, let's see what this next week brings i'll see you next week Indeed. Thank you. Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services. On to the latest grain prices then. Henry Young can update us again this week. The wheat market. Well, this week the price have been underpinned by the potential tight domestic uh, supply and demand. Uh, despite this, there's been adequate global stocks of wheat and coarse grains, although not as plentiful as non-exportable stocks. 
particular if China is removed, because of course they hold about 40% of the world's stocks. So be aware of that. They have been in trying to sell bits and pieces, but also trying to buy bits back in just to keep their markets correct. Um, indeed, the global export wheat supplies, well, it, it is a smaller crop with the EU, Canada, Australia and the US, with only bumper crops in uh, at the moment seen in Australia and also within Russia as well. So again, exports coming from there, but it's not guaranteed of what quality is also coming out as well. So time will tell on these ones. Going forward, uh, the major crop failures are also having a bit of a, an impact. For, for four seasons, uh, the major impact could be seen on price and also the availability of grain. We are seeing that the Australian harvest is going to be down on the area. So this could be a bit of an impact on their on their kind of exports. But time will tell. They've still got weather stories coming in that could, again, push that back up. Global maize stocks, we do talk about this. It is an important thing to consider because people do bring maize in further up the country. They are lower year on year, but still considerably there's enough out there to bumper the US and South American crops. We might see a bit of a switch between crops being grown in South America following the US harvest, but things are still in bags there, so we'll wait and see what, what the farmers want to be drilling. Just having a look at those prices, November at the moment is 136 to 139, March is 142 to 144, May 144 to 146, and November 138 to 141. Those are pretty good prices for that November 18. Probably worth having a bit of a think about. Just having a bit of a look at the malting barley market at the moment, it's been another quiet week. There has been relative weakness as well this week uh, with, with kind of the lack of quality as well out there. The FOB markets have reacted, which isn't helping either. So at the moment, the values are circa £30 over feed and winter malting barley is circa £25 over feed. Just having a quick look at crop 18. It's not been discussed for some time with domestic consumers. However, there are a number of inquiries starting to come out. So worth having a bit of a think about if you're looking to put it in the ground there's contracts out there have a chat with people about it the feed barley market is being really driven again as normal by saudi arabia and also by north africa again they do use it for camel food at the moment quite a lot of it seems to be coming out of of russia so at the moment there isn't the the big boat exports coming out of other countries the malting barley downgrades are also adding more into that feed barley market so if there's no deep water facilities going, it might be time to have a bit of a look at the prices. So those prices, November 122 to 124, March 126 to 127, and May is the same price as March. You might squeeze an extra pound worth having those conversations if you want to be holding it that long. The oilseed rate market. So finally, having a bit of a look at this market, we have finally seen some movement in it later on uh, this week. This has been just with people coming back into the market bit of a drive up stronger currency is also meaning that it is underpinning the UK market it is putting a bit of pressure on it hasn't moved up as much as if you're looking at the futures uh, the French market ours has only moved up a pound or two but on the bright side it is moving back up in the right direction at the moment the crushes aren't in but have they got enough cover at the moment to get to get to Christmas time will tell they might well come back in later on in the year so having a look at those prices November 311 March 313, May 314, and those that look further ahead, November 18, 308 at the moment. Just a quick update on the bean market. It has been very, very quiet again. Again, plenty of feed beans out there because of the poor quality that we've spoken about for for the past couple of weeks. It is putting pressure on that market, which is currently running between 143 to 149 X farm. This is very similar to what it was probably last year. 
Uh, but with the warm weather that we're seeing unseasonably, there isn't as much being used in compound feeds because the animals are still out there on, on the on the fields as we're seeing, which is it's a nice thing to see. But again, it's not helping the markets going forward. So we'll wait and see what happens with the weather. It's looking like a colder weekend. So let's hope that this is going to help. Thank you, Henry. That's Sir Henry Young from Open Field. Remember, remember, it's uh, an important day today. What's uh, happening weather-wise, though? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, it's a sunny start to uh, the week ahead. Plenty of sunshine today and clear skies overnight tonight as well, which will lead to a frost, but will be ideal for bonfire night. Eight, the daytime high today. The wind from the northwest, 15 to 20 miles an hour. Overnight tonight, as I say, clear skies. That will mean a frost. Freezing points, the low. Uh, the wind, again, from the northwest at about 10 miles an hour, maybe gusting at 20, 25 miles an hour for a time overnight tonight. Tomorrow starts frosty, another sunny day, 7 the high in the afternoon. The wind more from the west-southwest at about 10 miles an hour. And then it's clear skies first thing, though it will cloud over for Tuesday morning. We're looking at uh, temperatures again about 3 Celsius, maybe frosty in places first off. Uh, The wind more from the south though, 15, gusting at 25 miles an hour. Cloud through Tuesday, some heavy rain to come by the evening as well. Eight, the high, the wind from the south, 15, gusting at 25, maybe 30 miles an hour. And then as I say, that heavy band of rain to come Tuesday night should clear by first thing Wednesday morning. It will be quite a misty um, start to uh, the middle of the week though. Temperatures about four Celsius, the wind more from the east at about five miles an hour. So that's the forecast. Well done if you were one of the winners, or indeed nominees, at Thursday's Taste of Excellence Awards. It was uh, good to see so many in the food and drink industry coming together with a shared passion and enjoying themselves to boot. Uh, I hope my hosting of the ceremony was okay for you, and uh, thank you, as ever, for the kind words about the programme. Next week on the programme, a bit of light relief. We're going to meet the comedy farmer. Well, the Rutland farmer, who took a stand-up challenge recently. People often ask me what I farm. EU subsidies is the answer. (laughs) We'll hear from the man himself, Andrew Brown, on the programme next week. That is next week. Until then, award-winning, comedic or not, have a good week's farming.